Welcome to Decode Your Burnout, the podcast where we crack the code on burnout based on three primary factors, your programming, environment, and personality. We also feature experts who debunk the myths about what it takes to be successful in their industry and spin those tips to fit the workplace so you can optimize the way you work. I'm your host, Dr. Sharon Grossman, a psychologist turned coach, author, and burnout expert. If you're burned out and want to go from exhausted to extraordinary, book a free breakthrough session with me by going to bookachatwithsharon.com. And if you want to see how you're doing and what to focus on next, download the burnout checklist. You'll find the link in the show notes or go to bit.ly forward slash check your burnout. Now let's get started. Hello, Decode Your Burnout fans, and welcome to another episode with me, Dr. Sharon Grossman. Today, we're joined by Nick Johnson, who is a passionate business leader, best-selling author, keynote speaker, podcast host, and award-winning entrepreneur who co-founded and manages Executives Global Network, providing over 800 executives a confidential peer group network. Through his book, Executive Loneliness, Johnson draws attention to executive isolation and provides solutions. He's also an elite triathlete who connects physical, mental, and emotional health to leadership performance. He shares his expertise through speaking engagements and executive coaching. He has a podcast called EGN Leadership Conversations, which is a top business podcast. Nick's efforts have earned prestigious awards, including Entrepreneur 100, Asia Pacific's 50 Leading Lights, and Sabra Provoke Award. He provides an inspiring model of goal-driven leadership. And I'm so excited, Nick, to have you join us, especially to talk about this very important topic about loneliness. So welcome. Thank you so much, Sharon. And thank you for covering such a topic, which is so full of stigma. As we discussed before, it's not so common that people even want to talk about it. Well, I am no stranger to stigma because I talk about mental health, I talk about burnout, and I've seen how people react to those kinds of topics. So I think they are important. And when we don't talk about them, we have even more problems. So I think it's an important thing for us to cover here. But before we do, if you've got a story about your own burnout, I'd love to hear what that is. Yeah, I was going through some very challenging time a few years ago and at that time I was working around the clock in a job yes I was feeling anxious yes I was feeling lonely and isolated but I also worked myself to burn out why well because there were some parts of my job that I just was not very comfortable with I was very comfortable with the sales and the business development of the role but I was also given a lot of duties such as spreadsheets and numbers, which I was not very good at. And instead of speaking up and asking for help at that time, I tried to mask it up. I tried to manage it. I worked extra hours doing it all I could to try Mm -hmm. to do a good job. I just didn't speak up and I just started to work around the clock and then doing duties that I didn't like and I wasn't good at. It really grinded me down until I I had no choice, but I resigned from the job. Okay. So what you're saying is there were a number of factors, but the main one for you was that you were tasked with things that you didn't enjoy or that you weren't good at. 
And because it was so much harder for you to get your work done, you had to put in extra hours and that kind of burned you out. Yes, absolutely. And you also touched on that you felt lonely during that time. Can you speak to that? Yeah, absolutely. And and that's the one of the key messages from my book as well was that because as an overachiever or an anxious overachiever, I just didn't ask for help. I was always trying to act like I had it all together. And mm -hmm. I was then working in the medical industry, managing hospitals and clinics. So quite a stressful job, a lot at stake the whole time and then leading big teams and so on. And I was just always acting like I had answers. If someone came to me, it was very difficult for me to say no. I just not developed that uh, within me to be able to say mm. no at that stage. And that made me also feel very isolated because I didn't ask enough from my team members. I was trying just to show them instead I, I can do this. Okay, so that's actually interesting. On this show, when we talk about burnout, we talk about it through the lens of three different personalities. We talk about the thinker, the feeler, and the doer. And what you're describing, this inability to say no, is something that often we attribute to the feeler, the person who is a people pleaser, doesn't have good boundaries in place. And so it's interesting to hear that when you said, when you couldn't say no, created more loneliness because you weren't asking for help that's right as the saying goes it's lonely at the top and that's why i wanted also to write a book about that to, to later on find out if it was only me who gone through this and i did surveys and interviews for my book to find out because i didn't want to know that i was the only one and i found out that there's quite a lot of executives who also mm. feel quite isolated especially in senior roles okay so what other than this one thing that you had experienced have you found leads to loneliness for executives well it is the pressure that comes from the job and it seems like the higher up you go the hierarchy the less few people you have in your office at your seniority level the more you tend to be confidential about things perhaps things that you cannot talk to everyone about at least not inside the organization so therefore you need to perhaps work with coaches mentors and have that support outside your workplace but it's not everyone who do that, at least not in Asia where I'm working. The Western world and especially the US is much more open in that regard. Uh, people are even more close and confidential here in Asia. So that's a big issue. And I can remember even my boss at the time told me, be careful what you share with the staff and keep a low profile and so on. And that I was encouraged to do. And I took her advice very firmly and I really didn't share anything. I was trying to just do what I should and trying to get do a good job hitting the targets and doing what I was asked to do. And that was it. So this is what I hear is there's two different contributing factors. One is when you have a very senior position in the organization, you are encouraged to keep a low profile and not talk about certain things. And it kind of makes me think of if you're a parent and you are struggling, you don't go and talk to your kids about mommy's depressed and I've had a really hard day and my life sucks and I'm having marital problems or whatever. Like you don't share that with the people beneath you at work because your job is to kind of pull them together and be the strong one. So there's that, the kind of like the environmental expectations. But in addition to that, there is your own need to maybe have a certain way of like to put out a certain perception of yourself maybe that I have it all together I'm supposed to have it all together I'm in this position and if I don't and I wonder how much this also maybe relates to imposter syndrome 
right? Maybe the more imposter syndrome you have, the more you feel like you have to put on a show and you can't really be vulnerable and authentic and real, right? And it's kind of a fine line. Like how much do you share? How vulnerable do you get? How much can you get support from others around you if you're at the top versus as you talk about having to bring people in from the outside? Can you speak to that? Yeah, absolutely. And I was not vulnerable at all. I was not authentic. I really just tried to hit the targets and really do a good job and impress the bosses. And I said that basically the journey I came and what I learned from my bosses was that it was okay to elbow my way to the top. And uh, rather than, you know, supporting others, it was all about me. And I had bosses, unfortunately, who, who led by that. And that's also what I, I copied them. And they were my mentors inside organizations. So that was all I saw. And it went as far as I said that I had to basically resign from this job because I was just not well. And it was only through by starting all over again, rebuilding my life coming into recovery because I picked up also at that time uh, addiction. I was medicating myself with alcohol to cope with all this stress mm -hmm. and everything around it. It led also to my divorce. Yeah, I was financially mm -hmm. ruined. So I, it was literally starting over wow. all over again. And wow. I then learned that it, it, there is a different path here and it shouldn't be so painful as it was for me. And that's why we're having this conversation. Raya wrote the book because if I would have continued down that path, it could have ended worse. And that's what it has done with other people also, unfortunately, oh, who oh. are not with us today. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I'm just listening to you talk about how your whole life fell apart. Your health, your mental health, your marriage. I mean, it is such an important thing for us to pay attention to that we look up to our leaders and yet, if we don't give them the support that they need, and they're human, just like the rest of us, they've just been there longer, or more experienced or what have you, then they're going to start to crumble. And I'm glad that you're talking about this. And I'm glad that you wrote the book. So my question now is, we talked about how in your experience, you had a certain kind of leadership style shown to you, right? They were like, elbow your way to the top don't be vulnerable, keep it together. I'm curious from your experience since then, what style of leadership do you think works well to ensure that leaders are not falling apart when they get to the top, that they're not lonely, that they feel supported? What does that look like? Well, those are the leaders who admit to themselves and others that they don't have all the answers, that they instead empower the team and they work on the solutions together. And that is the kind of leader that I'm trying to be these days. I'm also studied to become a coach myself and working on mentoring programs and so on to just become a better leader and implement that culture in through the whole organization and actually a part of my book has my story including there is the day when i hit my own rock bottom mm -hmm. that was a day when i was so sick that i couldn't make it out of bed i even written my will my testament i just couldn't see how i would be able to pull myself through and that is inside the book and when someone wants to have a job interview in my company, I send them a PDF version of the book and I refer them to this page for them to read if they want to. So that means they've actually read, when they come in for a job interview with me, they read about the moment when I was in the worst shape of my life. Mm -hmm. So everything is on the table after that. I even had one man who actually admitted that he had two suicide attempts behind him and he showed me the scars. I hired this guy, he's still working with me today, and we have a very open 
uh, an authentic relationship. He will come to me no matter what challenge he's facing and we will just talk about it and we will solve it. And that is the kind of people I want to surround myself with that we are that honest from day one. And I know that can be a surprise and a shock for many people. But if you have been at rock bottom, then you have nothing to lose anymore. So true. Okay, so what we've learned so far is that there are a couple of factors that lead to loneliness for executives. And you've also shared with us a couple of things that can help combat that. So the first is getting support from outside the organization, like a mentor, a coach, a therapist, some somebody. And the other thing is you said, empower your team so that it doesn't all fall on you. You don't have all the pressure. You don't have to prove anything that you're working together and you're being vulnerable. You're being real. So those two things is kind of what I heard so far. Are there other tips or strategies to combat loneliness? Yeah, I think you, you definitely touched on it. And I think we also want to include there belong to some kind of mastermind group or peer group or network where you really can be yourself. Ideally, something which is a bit smaller, more private, confidential. Uh, so you can really discuss the challenges you have. And what I think is important is that you have that safe space to discuss your work-related challenges before they become a mental health issue. If we discuss them when they are small issues, like going back to my situation, if I would have had somewhere where I could discuss the issues I was facing in Excel and the spreadsheets at the time, not only might have gotten the, the support to be trained on it or the task removed from me, or I could have been also supported. How can I discuss this with my boss to get the support? But I didn't have any of that. So I would also mm -hmm. like to just add that point that it's really important for us to have those support network professionally and also sure. increasingly personally, right? We have women's network, men's network, where we can also go in and discuss the challenges we have and, and build some relationships there as well. Perfect. Now, I know that if even if you're at the top, you're like a senior level executive, there's still somebody above you. There's like the big boss, let's call it. That person may believe that because you're so successful and you're at the top of the corporate ladder that you're fine that you're not dealing with loneliness depression anxiety any sort of issues what do these big bosses need to know and how can they help their top talent so that they can keep them around? Yeah, I think it's very important to remember that we're all humans and it doesn't matter how high up you go in an organization or who you are in for that matter. We see celebrities and sports stars falling off. They suffer perhaps more than normal people. So for definitely for CEOs and, and a big organization at the top, it's very, very lonely if you don't surround yourself and go together with the team up there. Okay. What about if you are constantly busy? Does that could that mean that you're not lonely because you don't have time to think about being lonely? Is that a thing? No, I don't think so. I'm uh, very disciplined these days also. I block in slots for socializing in my calendar outside of work and that means going for a walk with someone, going for a jog or a swim academy or something and I do two of those slots a day for one hour each. So I have to get two hours of socialization. Those are my breaks because also I'm very comfortable behind my screen. I'm an introvert and I can really easily just dig into work and working myself around the clock. So that I know now that I need to put that in and that's when I get that break. And when I come back to the desk, I'm very productive again. You bring up a really important point, which is that we have different needs depending on whether we're an introvert or an extrovert. So if you are an introvert, 
what that by definition means is that when you're around other people, it's actually more exhausting than if you're by yourself, which means that if your job requires you to be around people and maybe you're leading a team or you're dealing with customers that you then need to be by yourself to recharge. Could we say that there is less loneliness for introverts or what have you found? Okay, so that's a great reflection. And basically when I'm working in my back office and so on and I'm doing administration, that's when I make sure I get out for those exercises and meet some people. Because what I found is if I'm working all day at home, by myself, not meeting any people, only virtually, eventually I'm going to go crazy. That's basically just mm. driving me down, grinding me down, down. So that's one thing. But if I'm on the road and I'm in big events and I'm meeting people, networking events, giving a keynote and so on, I'm completely knocked out after that. I need to get to the room and be by myself or go for a walk to get some rest time. So those are two very extreme situations. And, and I think it's different for those, if that makes sense. Absolutely. So what you're saying is that we all, regardless of our in introversion, extroversion, where we are on that scale, we all have this need to socialize with other people. And it just depends. What have you been doing up until this point? If your day has been spent around other people to uh, balance that equation out, you need to now have some time by yourself. But what we also know which is true, is that a lot of introverts end up in roles where they are working solo. And if that's you, where you're spending the majority of your time on your own, then to rebalance the equation, you need to surround yourself with other people in one way, shape or another. So that's important. And I want to bring it back to your former point, which is that even if you are around your team, that may or may not qualify for the kind of support that we're talking about. In other words, it's like just because you're around people doesn't mean it's supportive. Absolutely. And that's why I do it in a setting where I like exercising or something where I'm comfortable uh, swimming or whatever it may be. Then I meet people and I socialize and many of them are also business people. So I can get the support there if needed as well. Now, some people might think that addressing loneliness is just the individual's responsibility. It's not really the concern of the workplace. What would you say about that? I definitely think it's a, it has to start from the top. It's the leaders. They have to lead by example and create the culture and encourage that and show the way. In my case, I don't micromanage the team. They have the, the flexibility if they need some time for themselves. They don't even anymore have to let me know. They can just let the, the team know if they need a break for a moment, if they need to go for a walk and take a mini break, because we work so much across different time zones and online these days that we all need to take those breaks from time to time. So what you're saying is, one, we've already mentioned that the people that work under you, if you're the leader, those are people that you empower so that you don't have to do all the work. And that supports you in the sense that you don't have to have all the pressure on you to get all the work done, right? So it's kind of like a different kind of a pressure. But you're also saying that we need to have a culture where those leaders have something maybe that allows them to get their needs met socially. And that's the responsibility for that is often also on the organization to create some sort of support system for those leaders. So if I am running my own company and I've got senior level executives at the top, 
how can I ensure that they're not feeling lonely? What are some things that I can do for them? Well, leading by example, as we discussed, but also then basically encourage them to go out and join networks. It doesn't have to cost money. There's mastermind groups and so on, which you can belong to. And if you can arrange with mentoring programs, coach programs, and just make sure that the support is there if they need it. If you have the budget to approve, to support them financially, that sends a clear signal that we encourage this. And I think it's the way the world is moving now and the technology and there's so many disruptions happening so fast. Everyone needs to be updated, educated. And w- why not to combine that and have them then in some mastermind groups or in some courses where they actually meet people and learn at the same time? What I've heard you say so far is that You're now, in a sense, in a leadership position because you run a lot of these kinds of groups for senior leaders so that they're not lonely. Do you have your own support group that you then go to to make sure that you don't have this exact same thing happen again? I do. And actually, it's a great question. And and, uh, because I went through the recovery journey, I'm also giving back there. As I mentioned before, I had some issues with alcohol during that time. I'm now a volunteer there helping out there. I'm also a volunteer for a suicide hotline, which I'm helping both as a volunteer and a fundraiser. So because I've been there in that journey, I can help a lot of people now. So that's my network. But also, yes, we have networks. Uh, As we are in the business, we also have our peer groups and I feel completely fully supported. I can ask a lot of people for help. I even have the app we have in our company is one question called Ask the Network. That's how integrated mm. it is. And we also have that within our team. that You can just post a question and people can reply in real time and support mm-hmm. each other. So it's just to have that top of mind. Don't do everything yourself. And my whole desk is full of notes. I keep writing everything down as soon as I have a question. And because I just know that before I kept it all in my head. Right. Yeah. So you have created these support networks for senior leaders so that they don't have the experience that you had, that they don't feel lonely. They have support. But other than loneliness, if I'm a senior leader and maybe I don't really feel lonely, or maybe it's like a smidgen of what I feel, what else do you guys address in these groups? Yeah, so we I wouldn't say that we address the loneliness by itself, but what we address is that the anxiety, insecurity, and the stress that mm. these leaders will have on being pressured and having deadlines and so on. Mm-hmm. And actually, the two most discussed topics across all the groups is number one is recruitment and talent retention that's number one but number two is managing upwards so the biggest challenge all these leaders have is managing the boss either in the us or europe because most of them are regional directors sitting in singapore and so on heading up the region for the big multinationals and their biggest challenge is to manage the expectations of the head office so for them to have a safe place where they can discuss that just get that sympathy from other leaders. Oh, I'm not the only one who have this issue. That is a huge one for them. Okay. So what you're saying is they have their own challenges in terms of managing their teams, but also sometimes they might need to hire new people and they're they're on a search. They're trying to figure out how to keep the people that they have happy and how to maybe increase the team. And they have to manage those expectations to people who are above them. And all of this can create a lot of anxiety and stress. And so these groups that you're offering them is an opportunity to number one, understand that they're not alone in their struggle. And I think maybe just that, just giving voice to 
whatever is hard for you, your whatever your hardship is, maybe just doing that kind of diminishes some of the stress that you feel, right? So in other words, I always talk about there's kind of like layers of stress. So the first layer might be like the problem of I need to hire such and such person to fill this position. And then I have another layer on top of that, which is my own worry, my anxiety, my stress about it's going to be too hard. I'm not going to find the right person. It's going to take too long. What if I don't find the person, right? And so we're spinning out in our own heads because we're so just anxious about getting it done and making sure that it's the right fit and that everybody's going to be happy. And so you're giving voice essentially to that second layer of stress. So when I can reduce that, I can focus on actually getting the right person without all that added drama. Yes, absolutely. You got it. And people need to just get that little nudge and feel that they're not alone in this and getting the support, but also the street smart advice rather than always having to go to consultant and going through the time and the money that comes with that. Sometimes we just need to check in and asking 15 people who've been there before. Yeah. Yes. Because I've run groups and it's so interesting when I, when I run my program, I have like a burnout recovery program. I always offer people that they can do it just one-on-one with me, or they can join a group. Right. And usually if you're a senior level executive, you want the one-on-one. And I always tell them the one thing that people underestimate the most is the social impact of being in the group. And the thing that they come out when they do choose the group option, the thing that they come out raving about the most, that has the most impact above and beyond the transformation, everything they learned and what have you, is that group experience, is the ability to realize that they're not alone in their burnout and their struggle and their thinking and whatever it is that's going on. And being able to consult with each other and say like, hey, you know what? I just hired this virtual assistant and they can help you and I can help find you somebody or I can help train your people or whatever, right? Like just having those kinds of conversations is so powerful. So I'm so appreciative of the work that you're doing, Nick, in the world and how I love how your kind of experience that essentially had your life crumble. You've used that as a stepping stone to build something so powerful, not just for yourself, but so many other leaders as well. So thank you for all of that. Now, for somebody who might be listening and maybe wants to learn more about these groups that you offer or your book, where should they go? Well, I have a website, nickjohnson.com, and it's spelled N-I-C-K-J-O-N-S-S-O-N. They can find most of the things there, or I'm on LinkedIn, or finally, my book is on Amazon, and it's called Executive Loneliness. Wonderful. So we will link to your website and to your book in the show notes. So if anybody is listening to this, they can follow up with you. I want to thank you again for coming on and sharing your journey very vulnerably and offering the kind of support that you do for our people. So thank you. Thank you so much, Sharon. Now, if you are a thinker, I'm curious, what did you think of the show? If you're a feeler, how did hearing this make you feel? And for all of you doers, what are you going to do based on what you've heard? Now, regardless of what your personality code is, My goal is to spread the word that burnout is a unique experience. And by decoding it, you can find solutions that are equally unique to you. Help me spread this message by subscribing to the show on Apple or Spotify and leaving us a review 
telling us what you think, feel, or do differently because of the show. If you're watching us on YouTube, you can also leave me a comment or questions to answer in future episodes. And please recommend the show to anyone struggling with burnout. And if you are ready to take the next step with me to DYB, go to decodeyourburnout.com and I'll see you right back here next week. Bye, everybody.